You've come at week three in this series that we're calling Tactics for Tough Times. Now, all of us understand tough times. How many of you understand tough times? What we want to know is what do we do during the tough times? How do we get through the tough times? So that's what we're learning together is tactics. If you were here week one, we talked about what do you do when you're emotionally tired? That's different than physical tired. Physical tired, take a nap. Physical tired, go on vacation. Physical tired, make sure you're getting your day off, a good night's sleep. But emotionally tired, whole different game, whole different animal. That was week one. Week two, we learned, how do you keep a happiness level even when circumstances are hard? And by happiness, we don't mean backflips. We don't mean giddy. We're not talking cheerleader. We're talking steady. It's more akin to peace. It's more uh, akin to consistency. How do you stay right there in that zone when life's coming at you fast and hard? And this is part three, and we're going to look at how do you trust God when change hits your life, but not just change. Change is hard enough to process. How do, you, uh, how do you trust God when changes you don't like hit your life? How many of you have had change and it's like, I don't like this at all. I don't like this at all. Yeah, and you don't really have a lot to say about it. Matter of fact, the first big point, if you have your outline, I want you to just look at it. We're going to establish like some parameters for this talk today. And the first one we just have to swallow is this. Change is unavoidable. Let's say it. Change is it's unavoidable. I mean, that's the first thing. We need to know that. You know, you say, okay, Brady, I kind of know that. But we really need to know that. No matter if you're the kind of person who likes change. There are some people who get off on change. But 80% of the people, statistically, don't want things to change even if they're assured that the change is good. Eight out of ten of us would say, I don't want anything to change. I just want predictable. I want same. I want constant. Like, don't change anything. Even if you tell me it's going to be good, I don't want it to change. But the fact is, a lot of change isn't good. And those changes are also unavoidable. Like, change happens. Now, what are you going to do when it happens? You can complain about it. You can grumble about it. Does that do you any good? Does that stop the change? It's like they were here a minute ago. Where, where'd they go? You know, you try to resist it. I, my, my grandkids, I just, I posted a picture yesterday, or this morning maybe. Uh, my, two of our grandsons, we have five grandsons, one granddaughter. Our, two of our grandsons were in a wedding yesterday. And, and so six and, and five. And they had tuxedos on for the first time. And I'm looking at these little boys, and I'm like, my goodness, they're growing up. And what I used to say to my daughters when they were growing up is, I'm going to tie bricks on your head to keep you from growing up so fast. And I say that now to my grandsons, and my grandsons, yeah, well, Papa, we're going to tie bricks on your head. Yeah, well, tie it here. That's what, that's, <laughs> if you're going to tie something on, tie it, right, tie it right there. You know, I say that because change happens so fast in their lives. And it's just my way of saying I'm just trying to resist it a little bit. But you can't change change from happening. It goes all the way back to the beginning of time. Look what God said in the very first part of the Hebrew Scriptures. Like, this is ancient stuff. This goes way, way back. And look what God says. As long as the earth remains, there will be springtime and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night. What it seems like God is promising is just predictability. That's not what God is promising. What God is promising is that everything's seasonal. 
What he's saying is, what you like now, oh, I like spring. Okay, good, enjoy what's here, because it's soon going to be summer. I love summer. Well, good, enjoy, because it's not going to last. It's going to be fall. I love fall. Then it's going to be winter. Well, then I, that's why I live in California. And it's like, it's a, it's a promise that it's going to change. I mean, think about everything that's different in your life. Like, I look at these people with longevity, like, you know, 100 years old, 105 years old, and I think, how much change have they had to process in a century of life? It's absolutely incredible, from transportation to technology, like, even in our lives, like, the things that have changed. I saw, I saw a post, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, and it was a teenager, and he had lost his cell phone. He said, why don't they invent a phone that's attached by a cord to the wall? It's a good idea. It's really a good idea. I mean, we've seen so many changes. I mean, your family dynamics. I mean, I can remember the traditions growing up, but then, you know, people pass away, people move away, and like those dynamics just start shifting and morphing, and it's just, it's just not the same. It doesn't mean that it's always going to end up bad, but it's certainly going to end up different. Your family dynamic, your job situation. I mean, you as an individual, think of the changes in your own life. And it's just hard. Like, it's just hard. Look at this. There is no growth without change. We would acknowledge that. There's no change without loss because you're letting go of what was in order to embrace what is. There's no loss without grief because that is the definition of grief is just processing loss. And then there is no grief without pain, which means with all the changes that are unavoidable attached to that, there's going to be a level of pain. The pain of change is unavoidable. Here's the next one. Change is not always good, but God uses it for good. And that's a real hopeful note. Change might not be good, but we talked about this. God can take what isn't good. He doesn't cause the bad. Everything that happens isn't bad. Everything that happens isn't good. God takes whatever, and he can transform it. He can change that, change into good. We looked at this verse last weekend, but we're going to take a look at it again today. We know now, we're confident, confident that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now, notice, it does not say everything is good. It just says that God works for the good in all things, whether those things be good or bad. Now, what does it mean God works all things for good? I think it's kind of like baking a cake. You take the individual parts of a recipe for a cake and you swallow them one at a time. Let's get a little oil, a little baking soda or baking powder. Let's get some flour. That'd be terrible. But you put those rascals together and you put them under heat and something really good comes out. And that's what God does. Everything that's coming into your life, individuals, like, that's terrible. Ooh, that's horrible. Ooh, I don't want that anymore. But put them together. What God does while you're under heat, he brings out something that's really, really good at the end. He works together for the good, not for everybody, not for everybody, but for those who love him. You love God? You live in your life according to his purpose? then this promise is for you. This promise is for you. And look, I looked up, this was written in the Greek language. I looked up the word all, and in the Greek language, it actually means all. 
Like, just so you know. Now it's like, oh, in the Greek, all means all. You're really smart. Uh, everything, every change, everything you want to change, everything that you don't want to change, he works it all. He'll take that health situation that's changing in your life. He'll take that financial situation that's changing in your life. He'll take that friend group that's changing in your life. He'll take your weight that's changing in your life. And he works it all together for good. So I need to remember, all change isn't good, but God takes all change and uses it for good when I love him and I'm trying to live my life for him. Does this make sense to you? See, if you don't answer, I start over. <laughs> Just so you know. All right, here's the third one. God's purpose in every change in my life is to make me more like Jesus. Like, this one's huge. Every change is to make me more like Jesus. Now, we read Romans 8.28. That was the verse we just looked at. But when you take Romans 8.28, that God takes it all and he works it for good, you have to read verse 29 because then that actually tells us what the good is. Like he's working it for good, but not random good. He's working it for specific good. Let's read it together. You're going to see what I mean here. Like we know that God causes everything to work together for good. And again, not for everybody. Of those who love him, called according to his purpose for them. Now, look at this. God knew in advance who would come to him and he chose them. And here it is. To become like his son. To become like his son. Like some of you have a pen in your hand, you'll just want to underline that phrase. To become like his son. So that Jesus, the son, his son, would be the firstborn. Which means the prototype which means the example for the rest of us. It's the firstborn, like, okay, be like your older brother. That's what's going on here. Jesus led the way. We're to follow in his way. So Jesus is the firstborn, and then we become family that has lots of brothers and sisters. What God is saying is the good I'm going to work in your life isn't just to put you in my family. That's good. That's actually very good. But I'm also going to develop family characteristics in you so that you resemble, become like Jesus who led the way. Does this make sense? That's what this means. Jesus would be the firstborn in his family with many brothers and sisters. We're the brothers and sisters, but we're following after the way of Jesus. God's number one goal in your life is to make you and me more like Jesus. God's number one goal isn't to make me happy? Nope. God's number one goal isn't to make me rich. Nope. God's number one goal isn't to make my life easy or comfortable or pleasant. Nope, not his number one goal. None of those things are bad. Just not God's number one goal for your life. His number one goal for your life, for my life, is to make us more like Jesus. Now, how does that happen? It happens because God is leaving us here on earth. And I'll tell you about that. See, this is not heaven. How many of you know that? Like in heaven, no sorrow, no sickness, no crying, no suffering, you know, no death. Like there's none, none of that's going to be in heaven. All that is a part of this broken world. Life on earth is difficult, and life on earth is God's school to shape our character into the image of his son, Jesus, who is our example. Life is a school for character. Life is a school for character. Let's say it. Life is a school for character. This is important. I'll tell you why. You're not going to take your career to heaven. Well, Brad, I've spent 50 years in my career. Well, good. At the end of 50 years, it's over, Bubba. Gone. 
50 years, done. Get a watch, pat you on the butt, send you out the door. Someone's in your chair tomorrow. That's your career. You're not taking it to heaven. Well, all my money, I've amassed a lot of my Good. The day you die, you have zero say on where it goes. Well, I left a will. Good, good. It's great. You're gone. Like, that's not why we're here. We're here to build character because who you become is all you're taking with you into heaven. The woman you become on earth is what you're taking into heaven. The man you became on earth is who you're taking to heaven. So God uses everything for my good, which is to make me more like Jesus. He's building our character. He's building our character. So I'm supposed to become more like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like? I'm glad you asked. There's actually a verse that gives us the nine characteristics of Jesus. These are called the fruit of the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all the same. And the characteristics of God's Spirit, characteristics of Jesus Christ, is what God's trying to build in us. There's nine of them. Look at these. The fruit of the Spirit. Matter of fact, let's just read this out loud. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The nine qualities perfect picture of Jesus. Now, how does God develop these in you and me? Now, I've talked about this in the past. If God wants to develop, no, not if, when God wants to develop these characteristics in us, what he does, he puts us in the opposite situation that will require us to practice and develop these characteristics. So for instance, if God is developing love in you, like that's what you're needing to have developed right now, he's developing love in you, he's not going to put you around nice people. He's not going to put you around the easy to love, because that doesn't build your love muscle. You got to lift some weight to build muscle. You got to have some struggle to build muscle. Does that make sense? And so God's going to put you in the opposite situation from love so that he can produce love in your life. There's not a pill that you're going to take. Oh, now I'm loving. It's not like, oh, I attended a seminar. I went from hating to now I'm loving. God produces love in your life by putting you in an exact opposite situation. He's going to put you around some unlovable people. I want you to think about who that is in your life right now. Got a name in your mind? Now, I want you to change their name in your mind. Instead of calling them by name in your mind, you're going to look at that guy and you're going to say, you, sir, are the school of character building for me. You, ma'am, are the school of love because I have to learn how to love you. And it's really hard <laughs> to love you. But you're my school. I mean, how about joy? We take joy. How's God going to teach you joy? In the middle of suffering. In the middle of grief, listen, anybody can be happy when you're at the beach watching a sunset. Anybody can be happy when you're in the mountains and you're snowboarding. Man, doesn't get any better than this. Anybody can be happy when life is just sailing along. But when your heart's breaking and you're in the middle of crisis, like to have what you need then, that's how God teaches you to start building joy. I got to figure this out. I can't let this crush me. I got to figure this out. Same thing with peace. He's going to do that in the middle of chaos. Same thing with patience. He's going to do that in the middle of the DMV. I mean, that's, that's what God's going to do in your life. He's going to put you in line, right, in the DMV. 
And he's going to say, this is your school. This is your school. Waiting on God. Waiting in line. How many of you are waiting for something in your life right now? Guess what God's doing? He's got you in school. Because he wants to develop the very characteristics that Jesus has in his life. And so he's doing that with your patience. This is the school that we're in right now. One more thing that I want you to remember here. God can use even imperfect people and sin toward these goals of his. Toward helping you become who he wants you to be. Helping you to get to in life where he wants you to get to in life. How many of you have ever been hurt by another person? Let me see your hand. Yep. How many of you have ever hurt another person? Same hands better go up. All right? All right? Because we know it's a two-way street. I've hurt people. People have hurt me. Because we're imperfect people. We're sinful people. You've been hurt by others. I've been hurt by others. But here's what we conclude. Well, you know, that guy, he fired me and it just wrecked my life. She divorced me. It just wrecked my life. My, my investor ran off my money. It wrecked my life. I mean, we just think, well, every bad thing is just going to wreck our life. But what if we begin to see, go back to the verse we looked at a minute ago, that God can work in all of that, even someone else's sin. Even when somebody intentionally did you wrong. That God can take that and turn that and bring good from it. Some of you would know this story. Some of you would not. There's a guy in the Bible. His name's Joseph. And he had a Technicolor dream coat. And we now have a Broadway play about that. And so that's right from the Bible. The reason he had this multicolored coat is because he was his father's favorite son. Now, you would think that'd be cool. Well, it wasn't cool because he had older brothers and they were jealous of Joseph being the favorite son. So jealous of Joseph, in fact, that they decided to kill him. The way they wanted to kill him is like secondhand, like I don't want blood on my hands. So what they're going to do is they're going to sell him to a slave caravan that was coming through the area is like human trafficking we're going to sell it there was not a long lifespan at the end of that like he's going to suffer and then he's going to die and they're like and we're rid of that kid and they were tickled about it and they sold him off slavery never to see him again and and you would hope that'd be the worst that joseph's life got but it wasn't he was falsely accused of rape He was thrown in prison for years and years and years in a foreign jail. He's waiting for God to work it out. Like if you follow the trajectory of his life for years, it was a downhill trek. But in the background, like the subtext of the whole story is that God is working. In all that chaos, in all that hate, he found that God was still able, no matter what his brother's intention was, and it was really bad, God was still able, God was still able to take all the bad and transform it, to take all the delays and transform them, to take all the hurt and transform it. And God is still able to do that in your life. Well, Brad, you just don't know how I've been hurt. No, I don't, but God does, and he's still able to transform that hurt. But they meant to do it, okay? But God can still pick up those pieces, and he can transform that in your life. God took the circumstances of Joseph's life, the harm done and, and the pain inflicted, and it, he used it to get Joseph to the exact place that he wanted Joseph to be in his life. See, over time, Joseph started getting some favor with some key people, and they opened some doors of opportunity. And Joseph, because of God's work, finally found himself as second 
only to Pharaoh, the most powerful person on earth of the most powerful nation on earth at that time. And only the Pharaoh was greater than Joseph. A famine hit the land. Joseph is given the assignment for the food program. Counting the food, collecting the food, distributing the food. Like if you're in a famine, the man who has the food, he's more powerful than the Pharaoh. Everybody needs the food. People lined up for miles to get food. Joseph signed off on who got the food. One day Joseph is there and he looks down the line of people. Guess who's walking in line to get food? The brothers. What would you do? I'd sit them down, hungry as they were, and I'd eat a cheeseburger right in front of them. (laughs) In and out, man, double-double. Extra cheese, grilled onions. Smell that, fellas? Killing you. That's what he'd want to do. Thank you, Bob. He wanted to kill them. I mean, that's what I think he'd want to do. Isn't that what you'd want to do? You look at all the pain those men put in his life, the years he lost, he thought he lost. Because of what they had done in his life. But when they came their turn in line, look what he said to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Like you thought it was going to end up bad, it didn't. You thought you were going to stop me, you didn't. You thought it would thwart God's purposes for my life, but it didn't. See, it doesn't matter someone else's intent against you. It doesn't matter who has been subversive. It doesn't matter who's gossiped. It doesn't matter who doesn't like you. It doesn't matter who's critical of you. It doesn't matter who's in competition with you. God can take their sin, the harm they've done, and he can turn that for good. Let's keep running through this. Every change is always a test of my faith. Every change is always a test of faith. A man who was a follower of Jesus, uh, he, he, he lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, followed Jesus, listened to Jesus for three years, never missed a day, side by side with the Son of God. He learned a lot. And look what he wrote down. The purpose of trouble is to test your faith as fire tests how genuine gold is. Faith. How much faith do you have? Somebody gave me a picture of faith one time. I thought, man, that's, that's just so like, vivid in my mind. I can see it. Have you ever seen a trapeze artist? You know what I'm talking about? Like one's going to stand on a platform here and he's got his thing and there's somebody all the way across the room and he's got the bar you know, on the rope. He's here and this guy's going to come back and he's going to swing toward that guy. I'm not going to do it right now, but just get in your mind. You know, how cool would that be? Swing out over his objective is to let go of this and to take the hands of the other guy, right? You've seen that. And then the other guy takes him to the other side. That's how you get to the other side. But there's a moment when he has to let go of what was and he hasn't yet grabbed what will be. And that's faith. It's in that moment that you know. You know what the other person's called? The catcher. It's in that moment you have to believe he's going to catch me. I'm reaching out my hands. I'm going to hold on with everything I have. But it won't be enough if he doesn't catch me. You say, Brad, that's cool. That's just not me. <laughs> like, I, 
I don't think I can do that. I like to let go. I'm more of a control person. I, to let go and to put my hands in the hands of God, to trust that God's going to be the one to care. Like for me to get through what I'm going through, for me to get to the other side of what I'm going through, you mean I got to swing hard, then let go and take the hands of God? It's exactly what you have to do. I mean, what's your alternative? You could swing out there, say, hi, God, and then swing right back. And you're right where you were. No closer to the only one who could really help you. You say, Brad, that's what I want. I, like, if I could learn to trust God like that, like to just let go and take His hand and trust that He's going to take me to the other side of this. Like, how do I do that? Well, that's how we're going to finish our time together. If I want to trust God more, I must invest more time in my relationship with Him. Like, this is just a fact. Like, when you are down, when it's really hard, like, you better be leaning into your time alone with God. Listen, the great the challenges that are in your life, the more you must invest time with God. We're talking about your greatest asset. Time is your greatest asset. It's time that you're giving to God. It's carved out space that you're giving to God. And you use it productively, like a little bit of time reading the Bible and a little bit of time talking to God in prayer and a little bit of time being quiet and saying, God, is there anything you just want to say to me and just lay on my heart or make me aware of? Like, it's just that time. God is the stabilizer in your life. God is the one who's the re-energizer in your life. And when you're feeling depleted and stressed and shaken by life, this quiet time with God, like that's the most important time you can spend because He is your rescuer. He is the one waiting. He is the catcher on the other side. More time with God. If I want to trust God more, I must learn to see things from God's perspective. This is huge. Every message so far, this is the third message in this series. There's five messages in this series that we're in. Every message so far, we've talked about having God's perspective. Listen, there are always two things going on in every circumstance of your life. Always two things going on. It's what you can see, and it's what God is doing that you can't see. That's that gap. That's that place where we got to trust that God is at work, that God is there, that God is going to catch us. And to have this perspective, like I want to see it from God's perspective. God knows he's swinging in your direction. God knows he has his arms outstretched to catch you and to pull you through. God knows that, but sometimes you can't see it. But to have this perspective, to see life from God's perspective is called what? It's called wisdom. Wisdom. You get wisdom two ways. First, you can ask God for it follower of Jesus, his brother, his name was James, he wrote this down, if you need wisdom, what do you do? Just ask God. When's the last time you said, God, help me see it from your perspective? God, help me see what you see. I can only see what I see. Help me see what you see. God, please, I don't see a way. Will you show me the way? That's asking God for wisdom. So you can ask for it. The second thing is you can learn from God's Word. And we just talked about this, spending time with God, reading the Bible, some time in prayer, some time where you're quiet, where God is teaching you all the wisdom that you need to handle the stress and the changes of life are found in this dynamic relationship with God, being with Him and getting His perspective. I I don't know how dark our culture is going to get, I don't know how hard your current circumstances are going to become, but I do know the darker it is, 
the more we better be reaching for the light. And God is the light. And what he has to say is the light. And his way through is the light. Let me ask you a question. Who would you say you spend the most time listening to through your day? Who are you listening to the most through your day? Well, Brad, I'm in the car a lot. You know, I drive from place to place and, you know, I listen to the talk radio and, and that's cool. I, I, I do that sometimes. Brad, I listen to podcasts. Karen and I, uh, we're into podcasts. We listen to a lot of podcasts. It's like, yeah, you know, I listen to podcasts. That's cool. Social media, dude, that's my jam. I just go there. I find, you know, what, okay, that's cool. Who you're paying most attention to is who you're going to become most like. Because that thinking is going to become your thinking. And that perspective is going to become your perspective. So if we shift this and we start listening to God most, those other things aren't bad. I'm not going to stop listening to podcasts. You don't have to. But I better be listening to God most. Does this make sense? Because who I listen to the most, I become like. Who I listen to the most, I become like. Say it with me. Who I listen to the most, I, I become like. And you're going to be a whole lot less stressed. How many of you think that sounds good? You're going to have a whole lot more peace. How many of you think that sounds good? Less stress, more peace if we're listening to God most. Okay, keep moving. When life is changing... Instead of asking, why is all this happening? Ask God, what do you want me to learn? See, every situation is an education. Every situation is an education. Let's say it together. Every situation is an education. So it's not, why is this happening? Wrong question. I, I can't tell you, as a, as, as a person who spends a lot of time across a coffee table from people, you know, we're drinking coffee and they're wanting to know, why is this happening in my life? Wrong question. I mean, we can spend a lot of time there. We can ponder. We can go back to your childhood. Well, your diapers were put on too tight. I mean, we can just, you know, we can psychoanalyze it. You want to? There's no benefit in that. What am I supposed to learn? Like, life is short. I've only got this much time left. Like, I want to get out of this when I'm supposed to. God's developing my character, so God must want me to learn. What does he want me to learn? It's a perspective shift. Like, this situation, like, this is not just bad. This change just isn't, just didn't rock my world, and I'm just going to sit in that. This situation is my education. All right, fine, I could go on and on. Final thought for the morning. When you're going through changes, focus on what never changes. Focus on what never changes. I've learned this a lot because I scuba dive, you know this, and I scuba dive frequently out at the Channel Islands or Anacapa, and you've got to take a boat ride, and sometimes that boat ride's a little rough, and, you know, there's people leaning over the side, that's as far as I'll go with that, and, and I, so far I haven't gotten sick. Now, part of the answer is bonding, and I take a lot of that kind of medicine to help me, but the other part of that is I've learned to fix my eyes on the horizon, because if you look at that Line across the sky. It doesn't move. No matter what I'm doing, my eye, my focus is on what doesn't change. Keeps you steady in the storm. Keeps that stomach settled in the storm. Your equilibrium doesn't get like all haywire. That gyroscope in your brain doesn't go sideways. It's like because I'm looking at what doesn't change. Well, Brad, is there anything that doesn't change? There's a lot that doesn't change. 
Let me give you three examples. God's love for you will never change. Look what God says. I've loved you with a temporary love. I've loved you with a very fickle love. I've loved you with a very anemic love. I've loved you with kind of a puppy infatuation. He says, I have loved you with... You know what that means? Unchanging. Lasts forever. That's what it means. Like if we could focus... Like I don't know why this is happening. I don't know where this is going, but what I do know... It doesn't change God's love for me. I'm going to focus on what doesn't change it. God loves me and this loving Father. I'm just going to lean into Him. He's my catcher. I want His perspective. It just all goes back to God because He loves me. Here's another thing. God's truth in the Bible will never change. The Word of God shall stand how long? Forever. just doesn't change. Here's a third one. God's plan and purpose for your life will never change. Never change. Like for Joseph, God had a plan for Joseph to be the rescuer of his people because God knew a famine was coming years down the road. And he had to get Joseph. God would have t- put, a, uh, put him on another path, but then the brothers kind of interfered and did all this bad. God said, I can still work with that. And God got him where he needed him to be regardless of the changes in life. God has a purpose and plan for your life. Nothing can thwart that. You know the only thing that can thwart God's plan for your life? You. Saying no to God. But when we say yes to God, God, take my life, lead my life, have my life, here's my future. Nothing can thwart that. God's purpose for your life moves forward. Look at this. His plans endure forever. And His purposes last eternally. I'm going to leave you with one thing. And it's a prayer. I think this is just a great prayer. It's a great prayer in seasons of change. And here it is. Jesus, I trust you no matter what. Jesus, I trust you no matter what. Let's just say it out loud. Jesus, look at this verse. The righteous person does not fear bad news. That's how I want to be. I don't want to fear bad news. I don't want to live in dread of what might happen. A lot of people do, but I don't want to be that guy. I want to be settled in my mind that God will take care of me. So here's the key. I got to trust in him no matter what. I bet I've prayed that prayer a thousand times. I'll trust you no matter what because sometimes I trust and then I don't trust. Sometimes I'm like, God is going to come through and then sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know. It's like a little up and down, but this prayer brings me right back to center. I am going to trust you no matter what. If that's what you want in your life, that's where you want your life to go, how you want your life to be, it can be. I'm going to pray for you. Let's bow our heads. Dear God, I know that change is unavoidable. But I thank you that I am assured that you're going to use it for good. I want to spiritually mature. I want to become like Jesus. Help me to realize that every situation, even the one I'm in now, is education because you're teaching me to be more like Jesus. And instead of griping and asking why, help me to always be looking for what I should learn. What? More love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Which of those nine, Lord? What are you working on me today? And no matter what, Jesus, this is my prayer. This is my prayer. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. In your name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen.